The Lord be with you. Let us pray. Dear Father in heaven, we especially are bound to give you thanks today for the gift of mothers, the ones through whom you brought us and given us the gift of life. Lord, we thank you that you are the true life giver and the source of every blessed thing. We thank you for shortcakes, for fellowship, for time together, and for your word. Uh, enrich our conversation, our discussion this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Everybody got a handout that wants one? Again, just a simple handout there. Uh, if we've got more of them. We should have more of them. Maybe they're circulating somewhere. They're on the tables over here. Um, want to start with this. All right, this is from a recent article on Barna.com. Barna is the, the um, uh, Christian kind of survey polling service. Then article, Doubt and Faith, Top Reasons People Question Christianity. This is just from March. This is what reasons do U.S. adults give for doubting the Christian faith? Over one quarter, 27%, says their, ca their cause for doubt comes from past experiences with a religious institution. For those with some distance from Christianity or the church, whether we analyze people uh, by people of no faith, the unchurched, those who could be described as deconstructing, and so on, the, quote, hypocrisy of religious people, unquote, is the top driver of doubt. The hypocrisy of religious people is the top driver of doubt. Why do you think that is? Yeah, Carla, go ahead. Sure, that's true. Yeah, no, there's, there's plenty of, there's enough hypocrisy to go around, for certain. And that will come out in the discussion in the video today as well, but that's a good catch. Yeah, Janet. There surely is a difference between religion and faith. Sure. And I think if someone lives by their faith and isn't so caught up in the ifs, ands, and buts of Yeah. Yes, not as hypocritical, perhaps. Yeah, that's a helpful distinction between religion on the one hand and faith, lived faith on the other. Good. Yeah, David. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, I was going to say, that even the example you gave in church of the, the person, yes. you know, and, Chris. and how he acted as a boss as opposed to what they would oh, exactly. yeah. do. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but also, I think, you know, as Christians, we're never going to be perfect, and we might offend people, but I think it's just being willing to say we're sorry or to, yeah, you sure. know, have conversations about that. Yeah, good. Saying we're sorry. David, did you have? Uh, opposite of that, and that is just that we are, are totally imperfect people. Yeah. We desperately need a forgiveness, and if we could live a perfect life every day, we'd be in great shape. Yeah. Uh, however. However. Yeah. yeah, exactly. That's right. Yeah. This is a, um, a challenge to, our, to us, especially, um, as believers. This one isn't so much, like last week we had the more of the theological, philosophical question about suffering. Here it strikes right to the heart of us as believers. So let's go ahead and watch the video. There's a lot to talk about um, from this, so we'll just go ahead and get that started. Everyone who considers Christianity brings heartfelt questions and intellectual objections born out of real-life experiences. They're looking for answers, but even more, they're looking for a safe place to ask their questions. Join me as I meet with a group of people who don't believe in the Christian faith to discuss six of the most common objections to Christianity. Welcome to The Reason for God.
Welcome to our fifth session. Glad you're here. And our topic for tonight is, why is the church responsible for so much injustice? Why are Christians such hypocrites? Um, somebody put it to, to me this way, actually several people. They said, um, even if, if Christianity is so great, why is there so much injustice and hypocrisy? Not only in the institutional church historically, but even in Christians that I have met or I see. Uh, so they can't identify with Christianity either as an institution or Christian individuals because of what they see as apparent injustice and hypocrisy in the track record of Christians in the church. Uh, to what degree do you feel that way too? Uh, what has your experience been? Let's go. So for me, I, I want to ask answer the question, second question by asking the question in terms of why are Christians such hypocrites? What are some common hypocrisies that Christians that you're aware of are uh, accused of? You're asking me to give you ammunition? <laughs> As someone who, you know, I, I just think individual people who have uh, stated, publicly stated, values, ethics, morals, are more likely to be subject to the claims of being a hypocrite because they actually put out there a standard by which they live by, so they're more likely. So yeah. I think this is the case for any individual who might make public a degree of what their stances are because it's very hard to, to, to hold those. But I, I'm just curious, what are some common ones that you're aware of that Christians are uh, sort of accused of? I, I would still rather get collect examples. Sure. But I, to me, a hypocrite is an inconsistent right. person. A person that says one thing, does another, right. and kind of knows that, that, that they're doing something wrong, but puts up a front, I think, most of it. Do we agree on that? Is, that would be what a hypocrite is. Yeah. So, but I would be happy to have some of you answer Eddie's question. Yeah, I would think that um, popes who preach about chastity and about premarital sex, who then have children out of wedlock with nuns, are. Uh, Examples. Yeah, I would agree. I think everybody would. It's across the board, I think, in every aspect of human endeavor, you're going to find people who transgress some kind of norm. I think it's within our psychological makeup to not always follow the rules, to choose paths outside of, of, of what might be generally accepted. The, the church being responsible for many injustices, I, I rather feel that the uh, there is, a, there is a case here. The list is, is almost, one doesn't know where to begin. Yeah, I feel like it's not, I wouldn't say that I'm judging the church or Christians for being hypocritical or for, for producing more injustice than other institutions. Most institutions have produced injustice, or certainly most institutions that have some power in the world have, have, done, have, have created injustice at some point. Um, but if you are going to make a moral claim, if you are going to, in some sense, say we are special in some sense, then by your own terms, you know, uh, the temptation is to judge you by your own terms, basically. I think the um, objectionable Christians that I've seen, I don't know, maybe they are loving the Lord. I have no idea what they're, you know, what they do on Sundays or any other day. But I think the part that I see being really problematic is the love your neighbor part. You know, I see them being judgmental. I see them being extremely self-righteous. And I see them holding people that they deem to be sinners to a different standard than they would themselves. And I find that to be extremely problematic. What I'm wondering is, is that a hypocrisy unique to Christianity? Or is there some track record of that also in 
religions that also have strict rules on I think it's not unique to Christianity. I read a book by a Jewish rabbi who said that his synagogue is full of uh, sinners just the way that hospitals are full of sick people. I know that's the classic example, but I think it applies to every religion. What do you think of Liz's uh, comeback that says, all right, of course believers aren't perfect, just like a hospital is a place where you find sick people, not well people. Why wouldn't a church be a place where you find inconsistent, um, broken people who don't always get it right? Isn't that what church is for? So why look into that church and see inconsistent people and say, aha, hypocrite, when that's what a church is for? If we go the hospital for sinners route, we have to distinguish between the doctors and the patients. The patients, a patient who walks around with tuberculosis and infects people for three weeks, we kind of understand, he doesn't understand what tuberculosis is, if a doctor has tuberculosis, we expect him to recognize it in himself stay home. and stay home <laughs> and not infect, cough, and splutter over everybody. So I, I think we you hold the clergy to a higher standard. What do some of the rest of you think about the, the hospital for sinners idea? Um, I don't think it's the existence of you know people who commit sin or patients in a hospital that's problematic, at least personally for me. I think it's when people who are Christians or claim to be Christians or have some level of moral authority don't admit that they're fallible, and so they cast their judgment outward. And I think that sort of inability to admit fault and also the sort of this really quick kind of knee-jerk reaction to judge others, I think those are really big problems for me. Yes. Here's, here's one response. Uh, both especially in the Old Testament and actually especially in the New Testament with Jesus uh, there are there are internal self critiques by uh, the believing community on what they would call religious hypocrisy or in the Old Test in the New Testament Phariseeism and the difference between uh, a Pharisee in the New Testament and a Christ follower is not that the Pharisee and the uh, Christian aren't both trying to obey God. They actually are. They're, in fact, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount contrasts a Pharisee with a, his own followers. And he says, you're both giving to the poor. You're both praying. You're both um, uh, trying to obey God. But one of you is doing it not only self-righteously and feeling superior to other people, but when you do wrong, you won't admit it. And so there's not this uh, uh, there's this not this theme of humble repentance in your life, and in the Old Testament the same kind of critique happened. But Martin Luther, by the way, had a, uh, the first of his uh, 95 theses that he nailed to the Wittenberg door was all of life is repentance, which he thought that true biblical Christianity was not I'm going to really summons up the blood and live a good life and then God will bless me. He actually said. The beginning of Christianity is I is to admit to repent and to admit I haven't done it right, and to rely on God for His grace, and that changes my attitude toward other people. I can never feel superior to them. I uh, I, I sense though God's love in my life, so I am not defensive anymore. It should change everything. I think what Eunice said is extremely telling. That when you see that um, you have a lack of ability on the part of an institution to do repentance, admit what was wrong, 
and they continue to condemn over here, and yet they won't admit themselves, that they, they, they're not being um, too Christian, they're being less Christian than they should be. They're not using a critique that the Bible actually gives them. So they deserve to be faulted the way you've faulted them. I don't know. I, I think, yeah, there's probably a lot of hypocrisy in Christianity. There's probably a lot of injustice, but it's no different than it might be for any organized religion or big organization. I don't feel strongly about the objection to hypocrisy in Christianity because I think there is hypocrisy in every religion. As regards the question about are Christ, Christians sometimes hypocrites, I don't think I have a lot to say about that one because I think uh, that's saying do people sometimes not live up to their own standards? That's absolutely true. I tend to be very understanding of hypocritical organizations because I think hypocritical, hypocritical organizations are made out of people and people um, are good and bad. My feeling on the injustice and hypocrisy in the church is that it's part of human nature. Every structure that humans build, there's, there's going to be that involved. There's just no way around it. Let me offer you a perspective on the, uh, the charge of hypocrisy, that, that many Christians are inconsistent in the way in which they behave and act. Um, some years ago, I took a course on ethnography, and somebody told me that uh, ethnography was a, a new development in anthropology some years ago, in which the anthropologists for years had been looking at these strange people groups uh, from the outside. Ethnography was uh, understanding a people group from the participant's eye view, as much as possible to understand it, you know, not impose our values and listen to them. Um, Sometimes when people say, I see these Christians and they're, they're such hypocrites, they're coarse, they're overzealous, they tend to be, um, you know, they're, they're too critical, they, they're kind of inconsistent. There's a tendency from the outside to say, if you believe you know God, which is what Christians say, then you ought to be really good people. From the inside, the gospel is, Christians are people who admit that they're not good, that they are essentially morally uh, very weaker and failed, and uh, need God's grace. Would that help you at all? Uh, understand why some people that might look like hypocrites from the outside might not actually be hypocrites? Well, I, I also, I mean, I, I understand and sympathetic with the idea that it's, it's sort of the effort to be good or the ideal to be good, that, that somebody's working towards it in some sense, uh, working towards sort of living up to their ideas, and they should be, that should be part of any judgment you do or don't. You know, do it for them. Um, so I think I think it's very interesting. It's one of the most difficult things I think in human relations. You do do you judge somebody to be about, by what they've done or by what they're trying to do, basically. Well, isn't the problem really that it's a question of self-assessment and objective assessment? That I could have all these terrible qualities that you is saying, but I could claim myself to be a Christian, where there's not an objective test. Whereas if you know, there's someone, someone of us fell sick in here, and someone said, well, I'm a board-certified doctor, I can help this person. We, of course, would let that happen. But in, in maybe what's happening is that there's no one, I could just say, I'm this, I'm a Christian, and exhibit no qualities of the good things we're talking about. Or I could be someone who exhibits all these great qualities and say, in no way am I Christian. I mean, maybe that's the tougher point. And that would make, that would align with, the ethno perspective that you're talking about, right? That, I think what Menon brought out was the, the non-Christian viewpoint of it, but what Menon said, I would say to me and maybe non-Christians, would, it wouldn't make sense. Like, I don't know, I'm making the point. I, I'm trying to, I, I thought your point was really compelling. It actually struck me um, trying to put yourself in the shoes of the person rather than interpret their actions through your own lens. 
I think my view of Christianity uh, changes with every book I read, with every conversation I have. Yes, absolutely. Uh, if, if somebody says their view doesn't change, then I wonder if they're listening. What I've probably come to learn is that I can have an intelligent conversation with someone who's a Christian and not feel that there's an impasse. I do think um, admitting your weakness and admitting your faults, and I mean that on an individual level and an institutional level, um, I, I, I wish we could see more of that from Christians and the church. I admire many Christians. In fact, I admire Christian values a lot. Um, I think I've met personally Christians who are um, very committed to doing good in the world, who are very open, who are very sincere, who are very humble, um, and I admire them a lot. And I think for them, their Christianity helps them in that effort. Uh, I certainly think that in uh, history, everyone, you know, from the um, from Martin Luther King to uh, many people who, who helped in injustice around the world. There are many Christians who have done wonderful things. So let me leave you with this thought. When Martin Luther King Jr. was confronting racism in the South, supported by white churches, he didn't say to them, ah, in order to get justice, you need to hold your Christian beliefs less tightly, or you need to come to see the truth is relative. Instead, he called them to truer and deeper Christian faith. Uh, he invoked the Bible, and he pointed out that Jesus himself was a victim of injustice, yet he died forgiving his enemies, and that nonviolent resistance to injustice was the very basis of Martin Luther King Jr.'s um, civil rights movement. And therefore, I would never, we must never uh, condone or excuse uh, injustice and oppression that the church has done. I just want to point out that when the church does it, it's acting inconsistently, I think. So, I'm leaving with that thought to wrap up. Uh, you've been great again, and uh, see you next time. All right. So, a lot to chew on there. Uh, I want to start with a scripture to kind of um, kick off our, our discussion, because you may have noticed Jesus has a lot to say about hypocrisy. Let's look at just one of those places. If you've got a Bible, um, turn to Matthew chapter 23. I'll read it for us, so if you don't have one in front of you. But this is Matthew 23, if you want to write down the reference. Matthew 23, I'm just going to look at verses 23 to 29, although it could expand that too. But this is in, in chapter 23, this long uh, diatribe against the scribes and the Pharisees, these woes, seven woes that Jesus levels against them. He speaks often in here of hypocrisy. I want you to listen to why. What is the, the nature of the hypocrisy that he is mentioning here? Start with verse 23. Jesus says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. You blind guides, straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they're full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate, that the outside also may be clean. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. 
So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you build the tombs of the prophets and decorate the monuments of the righteous, saying, if we had lived in the days of our fathers, we wouldn't have taken part with them in shedding the blood of the prophets. Thus you witness against yourselves that you are sons of those who murdered the prophets. And he goes on. <laughs> Hard words. But what are some of the things that you picked up in there about why Jesus brands them as hypocrites? What are some of his charges that he, that he has? Yeah, Leslie. Well, it's coming from inside of themselves, not outside of themselves. Okay. I mean, you know, we come to church on Sunday morning all clean and they're good clothes sure. and stuff. But then we go home. Yep. Yes, right, exactly. You get into the parking lot, you're cutting people up, whatever you got to do. Yeah, okay, good. Yes, Andy. The, the heavy burdens that they put on others mm. by demanding. Yeah. This kind of obedience that they can't even. That they themselves can't even. That. Good. Yeah, Bob. Um, I think implicit in those very, very hard words was the gentlest invitation. Take a good look hmm. you need me. Yeah, right. Stop it thinking that... Still, it was still... I mean, his hard words were... He doesn't go after the Sadducees, <laughs> the kind of lost cause. Right. But he goes after those that want so badly to follow God mm -hmm. in, in that they cannot accept their brokenness. And he's saying, hey, join the club. I came for you. Right. Yeah, they are... The Pharisees were, in many respects, the ones closest to the kingdom, right? They're right there. Um, but... They have trouble accepting the handout of amazing grace because they still, like Paul says, they have a zeal for God, but not, in, not according to righteousness, right? Not according to, to God's righteousness. Yes, Andy, go ahead. You know, when I first came here, I wasn't raised Lutheran or in a liturgical mm -hmm. um, church. The very first time I heard uh, the, the exhortation. Oh, yeah, the, the confession, way, yeah. The confession. I mean, my job is I said, oh my, they're all in the knees. They're together. Yeah. I mean, truly, I had no idea because I was from yeah. a very, very uh, religious, uh, mm -hmm. you know, law-based sure. um, tradition. And I just, I think that's what that every morning. Yeah. 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 Right. Humble, right. Yeah, it's something I think that for Lutherans who've grown up that way, we kind of take it for granted. Like, yeah, of course we confess our sins every week, but... Um, I've told before that the time I was having a conversation with a guy, a very, you know, earnest, zealous, young Christian guy, not a Lutheran. And that's why he's like, the problem with you Lutherans is that you confess your sins every week. I said, what's the, what's the problem there? He's like, well, what about those weeks that I don't sin? <laughs> true story. True story. He says, you're just making people feel guilty. Uh, I was like, dude, you better check your pulse. Make sure you're still... Exactly, you're still with us. So, Jesus has these hard words to say. And I think that this is really important, and it comes out in the course of that video, that, um, I mean, would you say that their attitude generally was, was really negative or, or not so bad toward hip, hypocrisy? Not so bad. Very gracious. Where does, where does hypocrisy really go wrong? They were like, yeah, when you were just talking about people not living up to high standards, like, yeah, that's all of us, right? But where does it go awry? When does it become really destructive? When people say that they are. 
when people say that they are, right? It's, she used that common image that we use for the church. The church is a hospital for sinners, right? Okay, what's great? What's that? Yes. Yeah, it's that, that demand for it. Yeah. I think that's, to me, that is the most destructive, absolutely destructive um, behavior in any relationship is the mm. inability to say, I blew it. Yeah. To have some reason and usually dependent on the other person right. uh, or other folks, especially in raising children, we expect them to own their stuff. And if we parents don't our, own ours. Right. It's, it's just demoral. It's more than hurt. It's demoralized. Yeah. They just, they can't put it together. Right. They begin to look at it and it could be Christian. Eunice was the one. I just wonder, being a Korean and coming out of that Presbyterian background. Yeah. I mean, they're profoundly legalistic. And whether that's the world she grew up yeah. in. Yeah. And then if you add it to the Asian, Asian presupposition of men cannot lose space mm. uh, whether that's what she's really rebelling against interesting in world where she was around christians who could not yes say, I, i'm wrong yeah I hurt, I hurt you she she is so astute with and i always i'm happy to hear what what she has to say in there because she has the the um nail on the head that it's not the problem isn't that the the church is a hospital she said the problem is that inability to admit fault the problem is when the patients pretend that they aren't sick and then cast judgment at all the other sick people out there, right? That's where it gets into trouble. Yeah, Chip. Well, it, it seems like for much of American Christianity, our posture is moralism. So what people hear and see from the, like, the public square from Christianity is, is the law, is you're right. doing things wrong. You right. do it our way. You're, you're screwing up, right? Right. And so then when... We screw up. Right. It, it's like, well, why would I want to, you know, so yeah. it's, that's the hypocrisy. And so, like, to me, it's like if our first, you know, they'll know we're Christians by our judgment, by our... I always forget how that one ends. Our, <laughs> you know what I mean? But by our love, of course, love doesn't mean that there are there, that, that, that there is no law, but it just means, like, that, that leading with forgiveness and understanding. And, and that's just not what American Christianity has been great at. Sure. Right? Yeah. That what people know is more our, our moralistic stances. Yeah, Christine and then Leslie. I'm, I'm going to go out on a limb and follow your survey where you talked about uh, bringing in cultural references. Yeah, <laughs> good. So, what's here. so there's a Facebook meme. Okay, so here's what I want you to do. This is Jesus speaking. Love others just as I have loved you. Take care of them and don't judge them. But what if they're gay or worship other gods or don't worship any god? Did I stutter? <laughs> Right. Well, there's got to be there's got to be more grace along with it, right? Yeah, there has to be grace along with it. Yeah, good. Uh, yeah, let's go ahead and then uh, Esther. I'm gonna throw a little wrench in this. Okay. I think. Uh, when it comes to hypocrisy, everybody is a hypocrite, whether they're in the church or out of the church. Church. Yeah. But they're holding the church to a higher standard than what they are. Okay. And you know, it's like. People judge their pastor's kids, you know. Well, why are they doing that? Who's why? doing that? Let me know. <laughs> you know like, your kids never did anything like that. Right. But we hold them to a higher standard. I don't know if we should or not. Well, I don't so, think so. 
adults. This, yes. Yeah, that, well, not the pastor's kids. No, for sure not. But, um, <laughs> but for Christians in general, you raise an interesting question. I mean, should outsiders hold us to a higher standard? We hold them to a higher standard. Hmm. I mean, the church is always setting a standard of faithfulness. That's yeah. why folks can rightly say, well, what about you? Yeah. And if all we have is a standard higher, <laughs> to which we're assuming they should reach it, or we ourselves will reach it, right. then every right to be called hypocrite. Yeah. It, again, unless there's the genuine profession of how deeply we, I mean, what makes us Christian is not our climbing to God, but the fact he came down to us because of our inability. Right. That's the message. Yeah. Whether you're Christian, and it should appeal to everyone, every religion around the world. And that's why I think we have to separate followers of Jesus, quite frankly, from Christianity. From the religious side of it. Yeah. 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 Um, Esther, you had your hand up a moment ago. Yeah. Did you, well, yeah. They, answered, they said what I Okay. <laughs> Great minds think alike. Yeah, Janet. We haven't brought up the whole idea of servanthood. Mm. Something that my church at home really stresses. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. then people will see that we love them, care about them. Yeah. And um, that's what Christ asks us to do, right. to love one another, right. to care for one another. Yeah, and I mean, when we talk about love, sometimes that can just seem like a mushy thing or an emotional thing, but Jesus makes it a very practical, concrete, in the washing of the disciples' feet, right? Mm-hmm. It says, love one another as I have loved you. Okay, and then he fills that out, so we, we can't just leave that open. It says, here's what it looks like. It's stooping down and cleaning these nasty, disgusting feet, right? It's service. It's humble service. Um, yeah, that's a, that's a great point. When you're serving, you have a hard, harder time judging. When you're stooping down, you're always looking up to others rather than looking down at them, right? Yeah. Yeah, Pat. I think it's hard, too, because our world has changed so much, like, to be tolerant of someone used to mean that you could just disagree with them, but you could respect each other's beliefs. But now there's so much of, if you're tolerant, you're going to say what I'm doing is okay. Right. And, and we sometimes can't do that because of the truth. So then it's like, you're hypocritical. You're, yeah. you're not loving. Right. And I, the, one, the one quote that I wrote down from, I love the guy, the, the older guy, the yeah. philosopher. He said, my view of Christianity changes with every conversation yeah. I have. So if, our, if we're willing to have those conversations... Mm-hmm. Well, it's true. Now, to wed together these two points, I think in, increasingly the conversations can be difficult to have. But when we can lead with love and with action, then it's like, uh, then we get back to like Peter in, in the epistle today when people are asking, can you give me a reason for that hope that's in you? I'm seeing that hope embodied and enacted through your, your life of, of service and care. Now I'm ready to hear about it. But no matter how, how tactfully we might try to have the conversation um, about hard things, right, and about God's truth, uh, almost invariably in our day and age, it's going to be interpreted in, in a, a, a judgmental kind of way. So that the action's really got to be there. Yeah, David. Well, it seems like it all boils down to the question of sin. So what, when people are confronted with their sin, Mm -hmm. there's two ways to react. It's like, well, you're not so good, Mm -hmm. or yes, I'm a sinner, I need a savior. Right. So I think when, you know, if you 
convert that you're not so good into uh, the hypocrisy thing yeah. that other people are watching. You know, it's it's um, and I, it's the attitude of the people. If they're not going to accept sin in their life, <laughs> they're not going to accept Christianity. On well, level. right. If you don't if you don't acknowledge the disease, you're not going to seek the mm -hmm. the cure, right? But it can be modeled and exemplified by believers, Absolutely. right? Where yeah. we're showing, hey, listen, to be a Christian, it's not to be somebody who has it all together, per se. It's to be somebody who recognizes that they don't and that they lean on the love of the Lord. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I saw other hands. Yeah, Tara. Another uh, different angle is um, when we look at other people, if you're looking at within your own family, you're more judgmental. Hmm. Mm -hmm. um, you should have done that. We've been raised differently. Mm -hmm. But when you look at somebody else, you give them more grace. Mm -hmm. And there's a, been another Bible study I've been looking at, and they mentioned that men should look at their wives as daughters of God. Mm. And I think if we look at everybody, everybody as a daughter of God, or a man as a mm -hmm. son of God, mm -hmm. instead of, even though I think of brothers and sisters in Christ is an awesome thing, mm -hmm. but if you're thinking of them as equal, mm. you're going to bring them to the standard of you should be better. Than you should be better, right. Instead of, boy, we're all in a really tough place here. Yeah, yeah, that's a really good point. Yeah, Ann. Um, would you, the phrase that you used in the sermon, the confederacy and the humiliation. The, yeah, the confederacy of the humbled. Yeah. The humbled, the, the humbled, and, and for us all to realize that we're all we're all in that boat whether we know it or not. Yep. Um, and then the the term low anthropology comes to mind mm, where mm -hmm. instead of thinking we should all be able to do better, mm -hmm. um, no, the truth is is that we're all fallen and we we need to come to expect sort of a lower standard from each other. <laughs> well, <laughs> Maybe you couldn't say that better than I... No, you're right. Yeah. You're, so this, is, this phrase, uh, I don't know if it was coined by, but um, our friend Dave Zoll, who um, I was at camp with this summer, he wrote this book. Um, and you're not usually supposed to judge a book by its cover, but you can judge this one. It's got a really cool cover. Um, <laughs> but low anthropology is his term to describe... So anthropology is just your, your understanding of human nature, right? What are people like? And he calls it low anthropology to say... Um, what, what people are like is they're generally double-minded, um, they're weak, they're hypocritical, they're not following through the way that you'd want them to, right? In short, they're sinners, right? Sinners, which should resonate very much with our Lutheran kind of perspective on this. And even though he's still uh, an Episcopalian, he's, he's a Lutheran on the way, is what I, I call him. <laughs> he has this, this understanding, he's read a lot of Martin Luther, that it's this notion of, of original sin, that when you recognize that everybody is, has the same infection, uh, then it gives you a more sober assessment of our fellow human beings, and in particular, those who don't yet know Christ. I mean, for those who don't have faith, who don't have the gift of the Holy Spirit, how could we expect them to be living lives of faithfulness where it's like, no, of course not. And even for those who are believers, who are part of the, the family of God, to recognize that one of the key passages for this is Romans 7. It's that great tongue twister chapter. Or Paul's like, the good that I would do, I do not do, and that what I do not want to do, that I do. Yes. Um, I've worked on that. Please. Um, that's, when, he, when Paul says that, he's cutting right to the very core of what it means to be human, to be Christians, I should say, to be Christians. 
Because now we live with this struggle within us of the spirit and the flesh, right? Uh, for those who don't have the spirit, for those who don't trust in Christ, there, there isn't that same struggle there. There's the conscience still, but there isn't going to be that struggle to the same degree that there is for us who, who already belong to the Lord, right? Does that make sense? And so I think, yeah, that low anthropology can be really helpful in this respect. And uh, yeah, I encourage you guys to, to pick that up. It's a, a really good read. Yeah, Bill. It, it, it seems that God recognized our tendency to hypocrisy hmm. from the very, very <laughs> outset. Mm -hmm. I mean, just the, one of the first acts of in the Garden of Eden yeah. was an act of hypocrisy. Mm. And then it, they just, they, they reoccur. Yeah. And so he, he, he tries to bring them in Okay, now I'm going to give you these 10 laws. <laughs> Stay by these and you you'll be fine. You'll be fine. That doesn't work. <laughs> right. So then he goes to Leviticus and he says, now I'm going to elaborate. <laughs> right. Let's, let's spell it out for you a little yeah, bit. Piece by piece. Well, yeah. that doesn't quite work. Right. And then he says, well, maybe I ought to make it simpler. Yeah. So he sends his son mm. and his son just says, look. Just wash feet. <laughs> just, just do this. Cut to the chase, exactly. And that doesn't quite right. work. So, you know, you, it, it seems as though whenever religion or whatever it is, Christianity, becomes established, it says, don't worry, I got it figured out. Yeah. You know, the, 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 the establishment does. Right. And they, they, they kind of breed hypocrisy yeah. sometimes in, in highly, I mean, what was Luther doing? Other than pointing out the oh, yeah. of the papers. For sure. You know, and say, no, no, that's not right. Yeah. yeah I, I know. The one gal she mentioned about popes, I'm like, where'd that comment come from? Yeah. Um, <laughs> she could have been Martin Luther saying that. But uh, yeah, that, that's right. I mean, this goes back, that idea of the confederacy of the humbled. I mean, that goes back to the garden, right? To be humbled, to be humiliated, is to be brought down to the, the humus, down to earth, right? And that's where, that's where we all live when we're being honest with ourselves. Yeah. It's, you brought up Romans 7, and, and, and St. Paul's argument there is so profound, but it's the bane of we Christians. We're hmm. still trying to do better toward God and toward our neighbor by virtue of the law. And every time I look in the mirror and see me, I really want a different person. But if I look in the mirror and see him, I'm safe. Yeah. And I can, I can drop it all. Yep. But if it's me I see, yeah. then I'm going to dodge the ball. I have to. Right. Because I don't like what I see. Right. And I think that's our problem. We just, we Christians just don't see him everywhere. Mm. We don't see him in our own lives as Savior. We don't see him in other people's lives as, as to be their Savior. Or he was their Savior. They mm -hmm. just don't know it yet. Mm -hmm. And for and me, that's everything. Because as soon as I use the law to, to try, I mean, the law gives me the end results uh, or what it ought to be. But it cannot empower me to do squat. Right. It can't, and yet we use it all the time. Right. And that's why we lean to hypocrisy, because we know we're failing, but we continually blur the face of Jesus. So right. The Ten Commandments show up instead of him. Right, yeah. And then we try to judge ourselves on that curve, and then others by the perfect standard. Um, but I love how you put that. We look in the mirror, we still see our own face, or we see the face of others, rather than seeing the face of Christ. That when we see Jesus in ourselves and in others, then the, the, that's, Christ is the end of the law for righteousness for everyone who believes, it says in Romans 10. 
So when we see Christ, then now the, the law has been fulfilled, the judgment has been paid for, and we're able to see the love of Jesus, to see this, this human being is one for whom Christ has died. And that includes me. And that even includes, you know, my family, right? <laughs> the ones that can be sometimes the, the hardest to, to love and be patient with. Yeah. Good. Uh, Martin Luther, he mentioned, uh, he gave a shout out to Martin Luther, who has that, the first of the 95 theses. He said, the whole life of the Christian is one of repentance. And if that's true, that, how does that buffer us from hypocrisy? I mean, if, you, if that is the whole of the Christian life, how does that kind of keep you from falling into the hypocrisy trap? Okay, you're daily admitting you're wrong. You're saying this is this wasn't just like a one-time thing, but it's an everyday recognition. Can you imagine if like our politicians got up every day and had another press conference and said, you know, today I've just got to start out by saying I was wrong. Uh, you know, like, what? We have been taken over by aliens. What's happened? Uh, but that's that's the whole life of, of the Christian. Every day, that that's our touchstone. Uh, and I think when we live into that reality, then we, we do join the confederacy of the humble and we're able to impart that loving grace Then our steps are easier and lighter and people start to say, hey, what, what's going on with you? They see you at St. Ambrose hanging out and they're like, oh, wait a second, maybe this is somebody I want to have more of a conversation with. Uh, it's a natural thing. And that's where I think the load is lifted. When we feel like we've got to be the world's police, nobody wants to do that, right? Nobody wants to do that. Um, but instead, we're not... Our job is not to be the world's policeman. Instead, we get to be the world's good news. Right. That's, that's what I tell people when they ask me, what's your job? I say, oh, I get to deliver good news. Well, you get paid for that. Uh, it's an incredible thing. But in point of fact, it's the, the vocation, the calling of every believer. We get to deliver good news. That's our calling. That's our summons. And uh, that's the invitation that we have from our Lord. That's what you about repentance, in, and I think sometimes we fall short of true repentance. We think it's turning away from sin. Ultimately, it's turning toward Christ. Yes, right. And, and so it's turning toward the cross, and so the repentance is turning away from my trying to fix the problem. Yeah, and turning toward the only one who can. Yeah, that's well put. Turning toward the only one who can. <laughs> so that's why I brought up your question. Yeah, how's that working for you? <laughs> let, let me tell you, how about this? Let me tell you one who works for you. Yeah. Um, that's the good news we have. Well, good. Thank you, guys. Next week is our last conversation with this, and we'll be taking a break for the summertime. Fear not, though, for those of you who are like, I, I need, I want more Bible study, more conversation. There's good news. And I want to just remind you, some, some of you maybe don't fully aware or take advantage of this, but um, all throughout the summer, Camp Arcadia has lecturers coming to the camp, all the family weeks, and that's open to everyone. You don't have to be a guest at camp. So all through the summer, Chip, what's the schedule for the um, lecture, the dean's lectures? No, 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 just like the time. What time is it each day? Um, it's the uh, last week in uh, June. Starting the last week of June, Monday through Friday at, what, 9.30? So it's, it's, it's Monday through Friday, mm -hmm. and they're 9.30 to 11.15. There's two 45-minute sessions with a 50-minute break, and there's two speakers. So, yeah. And, uh, yeah. And I don't... Um, Many of you folks in this room do take advantage of that. Others of you that haven't, maybe we talk about, you know, we could have a meetup over here beforehand, walk over there, or, or ride together, what have you. Parking can be limited, but just want to remind you of that. We're going to get the schedule of it up, if it's not already up, in the community corner, um, so you can see what we, all is going on. But it's a blessing. Glad to be able to take advantage of it. So, cool. Thanks very much, guys. Again, happy Mother's Day, moms. Relax today, and we'll see you guys next week. Yeah. <laughs>